Welcome to the roller coaster that is Minnesota weather here at Roots and Branches Podcast at New Life Evangelical Free Church. If you are a fellow Minnesotan like Pastor Brent Copeland and I are, this has been an incredible and incredible roller coaster. It was <laughs> at the time of this recording, we're mid-April here. About two weeks ago, we had a foot of snow, and now we're at 80 degrees. It's amazing. But I'll yep. tell you, we will take this because springtime in Minnesota, along with fall, which is often Minnesotans' favorite season, this is such a treat to have the change of seasons. And I'll tell you now, for the first time all year, I get to don my sandals with my socks because that's something that I learned. <laughs> I've done that since I was a young adult. And Weird Al Yankovic, uh, one of my favorite performers, actually exonerates me because he says that's tacky, but it's also who I am. If I were Steve Martin, I'd put a slice of bologna in each one of my shoes to make myself feel funny. So <laughs> that brings me to uh, our, our main topic today, Brent, is uh, one of our transformational outcomes from yep. image management to authentic relationships. And by way of my own introduction, I, I want to say that for years, yep. I've had a phrase that I've used um, partly out of indignation about the way people look at me, but also out of sensitivity to the way I look at others. And that is no one is one dimensional. Yeah. We're not one dimensional pieces of paper or lines on a page that we can look at a person and say, ah, I got you all figured out. All, the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. Yep. And one example I have on a very lighthearted note, but to show the depth of what I go through most days in terms of my preferences. Uh, this morning, I've been up for about three hours. I went for a four-mile run, but I've listened to five distinct genres of audio. I listened to morning news and then cultural political commentary. I rehearsed my uh, opener song for my uh, last annual juggling show called Juggle Jam 25. I listened to Keith Green, one of my all-time favorite musicians, and of course, Weird Al Yankovic. So that is the range of my own. You got the comedy, you got the rehearsal, you got the uh, news, you got uh, the commentary, and you got I Keith Green, it. partly because I'll talk about Keith Green a little later. But Brent, why don't you, um, you were going to share some of your own anecdotes about image management and, and yeah. how yeah. that is such an important topic for authentic, authentic relationships in Christ and authenticity as being a whole child of God. Yeah. Uh, I just want to also make sure for all of us to remember as we're going through these, these transfer Transformational outcomes are things that we are wanting to spark the imagination and really talk about the current cultural moment that we're in and what we see are transformational things that need to happen within us in our particular moment in history with our society and our culture, things that are really touch points in our lives day to day. And one of the main, one of the ones that is so potent, powerful, and often destructive in our culture now is image management. Mm -hmm. And really it comes from, I think, something that's kind of deep in the psyche of people. Um, so I'm just going to share a little bit of the framework of it first, and then I'll talk about some personal stories, which yes. you were just alluding to. Um, image management is, uh, some, some of us uh, maybe even find ourselves on accident doing image management with people. There's something about our moment in time, our, our culture, where uh, we feel this pressure that we need to search within for who we are. And then once we sort of find who we are, whether that's based off of how we feel, how we interpret the world, what we think we should be based off of another generation or some image we see on uh, in media or on a movie or whatever, once we find that meaning, then we need to sort of assert that meaning in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is how our culture thinks. When I say our culture, this is how individuals within our society think. Yes. Now, this is unique 
this is interesting here. It's unique to our moment in our uh, part of the world at this time and in our culture. Not all cultures think this way. And sometimes yes. when you're sort of swimming around in the fishbowl, you don't really realize you tell the fish like, hey, you, do, you know what water is? And they're like, what's water? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Um, we don't realize how much we do image management mm-hmm. and how much we have bought in to that meaning comes from me. And there are some Christians who think this way, right? And I, I think one of the things to recognize with meaning that comes from within, I mentioned this in a sermon recently, is that once you go down that road, once you've bought into that way of thinking that I need to discover meaning within me and then assert it out in the world, it becomes something that requires people to observe it and affirm it and applaud and tell you that it's great. Like It has to be recognized by other people. And without that exterior recognition, that transaction, if you will, the meaning that you've conjured up from within you falls on the falls flat on its face on the ground. Like it requires recognition in order for it to be meaningful. Yes. Now that is so dangerous because, um, so th- some of the thinking behind this comes from a, a historian philosopher named Charles Taylor. He's not the only one who thinks about this. There's been plenty others, Robert Bella and a handful of other scholars have come up with a term called expressive individualism, um, which it really kind of came about in the nineties. Uh, and and the term expressive individualism, which is Robert Bella and others, um, it describes how you not only see yourself as an individual, but you see yourself as an individual that has to assert yourself by ex- self-expression. Mm-hmm. So um, others use this terminology, like Charles Taylor, he describes the kind of individualism that we embody, this meaning comes from within kind of mentality. He says that it creates fragile meaning. Mm. And the reason it's fragile is because if it's not recognized by someone outside of me, then it doesn't have meaning. Like it, it uh-huh. requires the transaction in order mm-hmm. to work. So let me contrast that with uh, maybe a, a more biblical way that I'll tease out here for a moment, and then we're going to talk about it when we get to the authentic relationship part of our <laughs> discussion here. If meaning doesn't come from within you, and you don't get to, and you're not sort of conjuring it up. Yes. If it's gifted to you, if, if for example, let's think biblically here for a moment, you're made in the image of God. There's a designer who created you on purpose for a purpose. When you're a Christian and you're in Christ and you have an identity in Christ that is secure, it's gifted to you. You're a child of God because you've been adopted. It's something that's outside of you. It's something that's, that's been, that's been given when that is an identity conferred upon you. It is solid and secure because it's about what who God is and what he's done for you. And so now, if you, Paul, don't recognize my self-made meaning, I can go, eh. But if my meaning is from that I'm secure in Christ, then if you don't agree with me on whatever other things that we're talking about, it's like, I go, okay, well, that's fine. But it doesn't necessarily... Um, like if, if, if it doesn't necessarily threaten because my identity is secure by something that's greater than me, that's outside of yes. me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're hitting on so many current cultural issues, which are becoming extreme in their, um, is the word vociferous nature that, uh, if, if people don't accept who I am, who I, I impose upon my own identity, then they must hate me or they must, uh, 
be silenced or canceled. Well, wait a minute here. No, if yeah. we're in, given an identity from the Lord above, the most important, which is you said the word adoption, we're adopted into his family because of Christ. Yeah. And even before that, every single person who's ever existed are image bearers. They were made in God's image. That is the primary identity. And so, no, that is extremely important to remember and, and also to guard against in our hearts that we shouldn't live our lives as if we're constantly looking for approval of other people, this horizontal yeah. approval. There is such a thing as being like Dennis Prager. I've mentioned him before on the podcast. He says a nice phrase that it's our duty to be happy around other people, which means that mm. we shouldn't be an Eeyore going around all the time being self-pitying or whatever the case may be. But we also need to not put on airs and put on this facade or do actions as if we didn't do the actions will be rejected. We need to be secure in Christ, yeah. even if we are the only one standing for his truth. Yeah, you're right. And so for me, again, I was going to talk about some personal stories with this. Um, image management, I mean, yes, there's a deeper cultural current that's going on about identity. What is identity? What's human identity? What, where does it come from? How does that, is it asserted in, or is it something that I receive? Yes, those are important conversations. This also, I mean, frankly, affects most of us in different ways, but sometimes in just very simple ways of um, it might not be it might not be something that is uh, like a, 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 a cultural, uh, a culture war thing that's today, like uh, whether that's sexuality or gender identity or something like that. This can be something as simple as I just want people to like me. Yes. And if we just start there, I mean, let's just be honest, friends who are listening, your chances are you felt that or you feel that all the time. And I think that's, that's, I'll call it natural, but it's not natural and that's the way it's supposed to be. It's natural in our flesh. That's true, yes. It's natural in our sin nature. Yes. And it's because we feel this sense of uh, smallness, lack of control, uh, a sense of our own finiteness, a sense where we need to um, have some kind of recognition that we need to find our place in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the things that are about what it means to be a human, but what we do in our flesh is we'll, we'll take those even in simple ways, just to, you walk in a room and you can immediately feel this crushing weight of, I hope these people like me. Yes. Yes. And I think we've all felt that. Oh, daily probably, unless we, well, I think we have to actively uh, resist it because it is, like you say, it's our human nature, it's our flesh, and it's a well-put point that you made. It's not dependent on any given current cultural topic. It is universal to the experience of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And it, so this can, this is one of those, maybe I'll, I'll back up one step. It's not wrong to be liked by people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's just, let's just be honest there. It's wrong to make that the thing that is driving your relationships. Mm to make it an idol, to make it something that causes this crushing weight upon your soul, to have it be something that twists how you communicate with people because you're trying to navigate a relationship in a way that makes you fit in. Yes. We've all felt this. I mean, if we all remember, especially you adults listening and you remember back into your middle school years and a lot of people will say like, gosh, that was a time of life I don't necessarily miss. Yes. There, when, when you're a teen, you're often you're trying to figure out who you are 
And that's like the moment in life where you probably struggle the most with this. And some of us never recover from that feeling of like, I don't know who I am and how am I going to fit in? Absolutely. You know, I'm compelled. I was going to save this author, this name drop for the next episode, but Richard Swenson is one of my favorite authors. He's called a futurist, which is not hocus pocus. He's actually a Christian medical doctor. And I'm just going to give you one concept from him. He wrote a book called Margin, among other things, about balance and and being uh uh, whole people in this day and age. But he said four things that he mentioned teens, four things that teens, especially in a very acute sense for that decade of life, they struggle with, are they popular enough? Are they athletic enough? Are they intelligent enough? Are they wealthy enough? And are they smart enough? Mm -hmm. So if you have any shortfall in any of those areas, uh, you wonder, who am I? It, it, I, I need to be uh, smart, rich, popular, athletic, and uh, I forgot what the other thing I said, but but that is such mm-hmm. a struggle because we can't, no one can be that in all areas. We are all very varied. You know, I've even heard the phrase that there's certain kinds of intelligence, like yep. emotional intelligence and street smarts and book smarts and, and social smarts. And so we can't spend our lives uh, starting in the teen years, God willing. That's why youth group and, and church and family is so important yeah. to give these kids an incubator of encouragement that you're one in Christ. You are his child. Yep. Therefore, don't worry about falling short. I know it's easier said than done. We've all been there and we will struggle that in some measure all yep. of our lives. Yeah. But that's why the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God need to be our informants, not the culture and not our flesh. Yeah. And the world we're living in makes achievement such a high priority yes. that you feel the pressure to have to do everything and be everything. And yeah. so that is just crushing, especially for young people. Yes. But I think we all feel that. So here's how it played out in my life. Um, bit of my story is that uh, I'm a twin mm-hmm. and I'm the younger twin. <laughs> uh, I also have an older sister and a younger brother, but um, I love my twin brother. And uh, we you know, had a, such a tight relationship growing up and we still do. Um, something I've, I've shared this with him, so it's no secret, but especially as the younger twin. Um, I always felt like I was playing second fiddle a little bit. And, <laughs> but I, he was, my brother was always, um, more athletic, mm. just more confident, um, smarter. I mean, just kind of led the way. And, yeah. and so I kind of felt that way, um, for a long time. Now I've shared this before in different contexts, but he, uh, got very sick with bone cancer when we were 12 yes. years old. Wow. Um, so he survived and it's just a miraculous story. There's so much more to tell there, but, um, there was about a year and all of seventh grade, um, where he was in the hospital every week getting chemo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we found out that he was sick right after we school let out at the end of sixth grade. And it was just unbelievably hard. Yes. Uh, so for about a year and a half, two years or so, um, especially that seventh grade year, I was on my own. I mean, it was like the first time I'd ever been at school without my brother. First time I'd ever been in social situations without him. And I felt so like isolated. It was one of those moments of like, oh my, I'm on an island now. Yes. Um, And so it, it, it cut me in a couple different ways. One is um, it was weird to not be in the shadow, Mm. but then I didn't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would want to give a caveat here in case he's listening. He never did any of that on purpose. Like, it's no. not like he tried to put me down, Yeah. but it just is, it's just the nature of the siblings and, and age and him being, uh, you know, the older twin and such. So fast forward. Now you go through the, the middle school years and into high school. I had this 
not only expectation of living up to my brother, but then sort of being thrust for a year or two out on my own. And then he kind of comes back in and gets healthy again after this chemo treatment and his cancer and surgeries and amputation of his leg. Wow. Um, he comes back into our friend group. I've got my own kind of friends and he's got his own friends and we have some mutual friends throughout the rest of high school and going into college. I felt this, I, it's like it got more acute, this desire that I would like somehow measure up, mm. um, that I could be th that smart or athletic or whatever. But at the same time, this sort of weird thing about how he was kind of cut down in his prime as a oh, kid yeah. where he can't, um, participate in the same sports that I can. And, and so I had kind of like that survivor guilt and it was just very complicated emotionally. Yes. I went into college and all the way through seminary with this desire that people would like me, that they would think I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. My parents never really put that expectation on me. Nobody really did. It was like I conjured it up out of my own flesh, out of my own sin, I guess you could say, just, just trying to navigate the world as a young person. I went into seminary and then even after that, into my first ministry job. Mm. And I got to the point where I had gone from friend group and our college ministry in high school, uh, growing up in, in, in San Jose, California, across the country to Chicago with a whole new group of friends. And I arrived at seminary with this pressure that you got to be pastor guy now. And so don't I, I didn't feel like I could really be authentic. I ah. didn't feel like I could let everybody into who I fully am. Yes. That I just, it's not like I had anything to hide, but I just kind of let them see the polished version. And I regret that. I wish I would have been more authentic with them. I come back then to California to, to be an associate pastor. And I did the same like image management stuff where I, I was afraid to let people in on like the fullness of just Brent, like who I am. Mm -hmm. I got to the point where after going in three different major cities even, I mean, by that point, dozens, hundreds of people that I've gotten to know, I was absolutely burning out on image management. Oh, wow. I got to the point where one of my friends there, he sat down with me and he said, Brent, I think that you, you're struck. I see the fear of man in you. Ooh. He just looked me straight in the eyes. <laughs> and I sat down with my, one of my mentors, the pastor that I was working with at one point, and I just looked at him, I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And he wasn't naive to it. He was watching everything and me kind of managing relationships with people. And he just looks at me and he goes, I was kind of waiting for you to say that. Uh. You know, like he could see me burning out relationally mm. with people because I wasn't really being real. I was, I was like guarding yes. and trying to manage all of these things. And so we had to have, I mean, it was like practically an intervention at that point. I mean, I just had to kind of let that all go. Mm. And one of the most... One of the most encouraging things is I had a handful of people who really cared about me and loved me. And they just said, look, we want you to be the actual you. Like God made you with the uniqueness of who you are. Live in that. Like you don't have to be this other person you think you're supposed to be. Mm, that's good. And, and so that, but that's like, that's a, that's out of God's design and God's purpose and God wiring you in a certain way. All those various things, which are good and beautiful it wasn't that I conjured them up from within. Brent didn't decide who Brent was going to be and then sort of assert that to others. Mm -hmm. I, I I was able to kind of open up and realize that these are safe people for me to uh, for me to just like be the person God made me. Yes. And and that was so freeing. But it came out of an identity in Christ. Yes. It came out of a security of those relationships. It didn't come out of me deciding what I was gonna do or who I was going to be 
or changing who I was. Mm-hmm. It was it was more of a recognition of that and just in, enjoying living in the grace of God. Yes, <laughs> you know, and it brings up a theological point, Brent. Which I, I'm compelled to share this that. <clears throat> Your story, which I love, I appreciate hearing mm-hmm. from sixth grade, essentially, at the end of sixth grade until yeah. uh, your young pastoral years in your 20s, presumably, in California. Yeah. But uh, theological correctness would say we are totally depraved outside of Christ. Yeah. If people say that you are good in and of yourself, yes. that breeds and pours gasoline on the fire of lies, which yeah. says you can conjure up what you are because you're good enough and you're smart enough. It's yeah. a Stuart Smalley impression from the SNL 30 years ago. But uh, <laughs> you you cannot do that because if you correctly believe, like Jesus said, you, though being evil, know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children. Yeah. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you good gifts? And the greatest gift of all is the gift of salvation, which we recently celebrated over Redemption Weekend. So please, yep. audience, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are inherently good. And I'm not saying this to say, you know, do self-flagellation or something, but correctly understand that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Read John 15 again. That's a liberating thing because Paul Arneberg never has to be good enough in the eyes of God. I have Christ's imputed righteousness, and by extrapolation, therefore, I cannot uh, be good enough for anybody in my life. Only Christ in me can do any fruit and give me any contentment. And by the way, I'll just insert a 10-second thing. I have struggled with burnout my whole life, and it's it's interesting because I have a dichotomy of, of laziness or burnout. So I, I can relate to that. And another adage I've used yeah. over the years of 31 years of youth work and, and with families is that my problem among many is that I often let one negative comment mm. topple 100 compliments. Yeah. And so that does indicate also a fear of man as your former um, colleague and mentor uh, told you. And so I struggle against that regularly to not let the one negative comment uh, negate 100 Genuine compliments, not flattery, but genuine compliments. Yeah. Thank you for all you do. Things like that that I hear often, and I'm really grateful for it. But if I hear one pushback, uh, especially if it gets visceral or ad hominem, which yeah. means attacking the person, yep. then I can oh melt like the wicked witch of the west. Don't do that. Be strong <laughs> in the Lord. If I'm doing things yep. with integrity, then I and prayer, of course, and godliness. I I need not fear people, um, and of course, be up to correction too. But I really appreciate sharing that uh, that sort of journey, yeah. which stems from your being in the shadow of your twin brother. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It got to a point um, where I had, I was at a conference, just to kind of button up the story. Yeah, I was at a conference and I had a guy that I really looked up to. He's like an older pastor. He, we were sitting at breakfast and he just looks at me and he goes, so tell me about what the vision is for the church planning you're doing in San Francisco. And I had for something like three or four years up to that point, since I had left seminary, I had been, every time somebody asked me that question, I would spend, like my brain would start immediately working on what does this person want me to tell them? Oh, interesting. Instead of what do I really actually think? <laughs> yes. And like my, it was like I was operating backwards. Like I would, mm. so I was looking, I had gotten so burned out and tired of being so anxious about what they thought about what I was about to say. Yes. That he asked me this question, and this is where it came to a head. I stared at him, and it's like I went completely blank. (laughs) And he's just looking at me like super awkward. (laughs) He goes, are you okay? And I just started crying. I looked at him. I'm like, I can't. I don't even know what to say. Wow. He's like, why? I said, I am afraid of you. Oh, no. (laughs) You said it to him. I said, I'm afraid of. I said, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm. 
And I'm afraid that the things that I've been sharing about what I think we should be doing in our church plant have been based off of what I think people would like me to say. Mm, yes. And anyway, I just sort of confessed all this and he looks at me and we're just, we're sitting at this breakfast in this like conference hotel or whatever. I don't know. And he just said, Brent, I love you and I care about you. I don't care whatever vision thing you were going to share. He's mm. like, I asked you that question because I wanted to connect with you, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like one of those breaths of fresh air, but it was like the first crack in the facade. Yes. Okay. And so it goes on from there to a number of other key, like crucial conversations I had with people where I had to get to the point where I went home from that conference. I, I went back to a couple mentors and I just started talking about how I was dealing with this. I got to the point where I sat down with our church plant group and this like 15 adults in my living room and we're yeah. planning a church. It's our core group. And I came to them um, on a, on a evening uh, session. And um, just prior to that, one of my mentors had opened up to Jesus's baptism. And he read the passage where Jesus goes to John the Baptist is baptized. And then the spirit descends like a dove. Mm -hmm. And then the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he just looked at me and that passage. And he said, you know that when you're in Christ, this is the same thing that God says about you. Hmm. And then he said, because you being adopted as God's child is through Jesus, is through his redemption, and it's through the gift of his grace. But he said, let me ask you, what had Jesus done up to that point in Matthew chapter three and going into four? Carpenter. Yeah. He had been, I mean, he'd been sort of like an obscure carpenter at that point, but how, had he done any of his public ministry yet? Had he healed anybody? Had mm -hmm. he preached? Had he done? None of it's recorded yet, basically. Didn't even fast. No. He's going I, up fast after that. Yeah. So, so he just looked at me. He said, look, this is what God, the father says about his son. And when you're in Christ, he says the same thing about you. And it's apart from the things you do for him. Amen. It is nothing about what you can do for God that you're going to earn that. He's like, that is pure grace. He said, you need to learn how to live in that grace. Excellent. That yes. you are a beloved child of God, period. So I went back to my church plant group and I sat there in the living room and I said the same kind of thing I said to that guy. I looked at them all and they were all sort of shocked. I opened up to this passage. I told them that. And then I stopped and I looked at them all and I said, guys, I'm afraid of you. Oh. And they're like, what? Uh. And I, I just said simply, look, we're doing our church plant every Sunday evening. Sunday afternoons before you all show up is the most terrifying part of my week. Wow. They're like, why? I says, because I'm afraid of doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid I'm not going to shepherd you well. I'm afraid that our vision isn't going to work. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of what you're going to think about what I teach. And I just like, I mean, I don't know if it, if it was the right thing in the moment with these, this, this group of people it was, it was a constructive grace filled moment where I was just like, this is the stuff that I'm struggling with. And I don't want to lead out of fear of man, I want to lead out of a fear of God, in, right. a fear of God in, in the most positive, healthy way in that I live in the reality of his grace day by day, yes. that I'm free and I'm, I'm secure in that identity. Secure. I was thinking and that word, security. the security of that allows you to then live day by day in freedom and you're not worried about what other people think. That's right. Yeah. Security in Christ. Exactly. I was thinking that word and uh, it's so liberating to be able to say that and better yet 
to be accepted by that man at breakfast who said, I love you, Brent, and I care about you more than about any formula you could share or those 15 people in your living room in San Francisco, California. So that is very liberating. And then we touched briefly, or you touched briefly just now on the word authentic. Authentic. We, the, the opposite, yep. uh, the antonym of image management is authenticity and authentic relationships. That is something we're getting at as we become sanctified and as we are uh, doing this campaign at our church, as we grow at New Life Church, a small church here in Hastings, about authentic relationships. I, I will share a brief thing that uh, I have learned over the years, despite my own struggle with burnout, as I just mentioned, mm-hmm. as well as uh, being the one negative compliment toppling 100, uh, excuse me, one negative comment toppling 100 compliments. Mm-hmm. I wrote a poem about my mom mm. who died when I was uh, 16. And so she, wow. her experience of, of suffering through breast cancer and leukemia is somewhat parallel to your brother with cancer because mm. I wasn't in her shadow, uh, but um, I wrote an 87-line poem about her a couple of years ago. And one of my favorite uh, couplets that my sister commented on too, I said, my mom was not perfect, but winsomely real, living and dying with Christ-like appeal. Because mm. I talked about her dying in the Lord, and yeah. it was a great story, and it really affected my faith. But the idea is, no, she was rough around the edges. She was not a June Cleaver, put it that way. Uh, she was a seventh <laughs> of nine children from a St. Paul uh, blue-collar Catholic clan whom I love. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I inherited a lot of her authenticity, um, but uh, that comes with some of the foot-in-mouth Apostle Peter uh, tendencies too. And yet uh, <laughs> yeah. what I've found through my mom's example is, yep. uh, despite the fact, I, yes, I do still struggle often with living as if I'm constantly auditioning or applying for a job in, in terms of a relationship. I, I can't let that stop me from speaking the truth in love, being myself, yeah. letting the chips fall where they may so that I'm not always calculating the outcome, but instead live in the moment, yeah. be obedient, and not worry about fear of man. In fact, another couple of name drops I, I wrote down in my notes yeah. as you were speaking. I love the phrase audience of one. Yeah. In every conversation, in every vocation, in every relationship, we need to conduct ourselves for an audience of one. Yep. Randy Alcorn really hits on that. I talked about him at length in episode five about the new earth. He also talks about that living daily in faith. And also Sarah Groves has a great song, This Journey Is My Own, from her, I believe her Conversations album. And she says, I'm going to live and breathe for an audience of one. If we can think of every conversation as if we're talking to Jesus who accepts us unconditionally with yeah. his imputed righteousness, we need not fear any person. We need not fear man. We need only fear God with a reverence and a security of his love. Yes, yes. And for those of you listening, I I think just this episode, I hope, helps you to start thinking about and maybe checking your heart on how you relate to other people and how you relate to your church family, how you relate to coworkers, how you relate in whatever context. And I think just searching your heart to think about what identity am I living out of? Am I living out of something that I've kind of conjured up? Am I, is it, is it fragile because I'm like worried about what people think about me all the time? Hmm. Am I living in that anxiety day by day? Or have I, do I understand as a, as a believer, like if you're listening to this and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a disciple of Jesus, you're adopted child of God, that you really understand and then live in the freedom of that identity. Yes. 
And I think that that's what, uh, maybe, maybe we'll wind it down on a part one and we'll go to a part two, Great. because Love I think it. what I'd like to do in, in another, uh, podcast here is to, is to expand upon that authentic relationship and what it means to live in a healthy way into that identity. But I, I hope friends, as we wind down here, that you check your heart, that maybe this is a time where you need to just take some quiet moments or go on a walk or talk to your talk to your spouse or, or, or just have some time of prayer where you really search your heart on what identity you're really living out of and uh, where your heart is when it comes to relationships or it comes to image management, whether that's you feel the pressure of the culture that you need to fit in with whatever uh, ways of thinking you sort of see across social media and in the news. And if I don't believe these certain things that are kind of in pop culture, then nobody will like, like me or accept me. That's right. Um, because we can feel all kinds of pressure on that. Or if you feel like you need to achieve certain things in your career or in your family or with, with money or with whatever that you feel you're constantly under the pressure of, or if you just feel lost and you don't know who, like you don't wonder if people really love you. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're, you don't feel known because you've never really opened up to anybody. Mm -hmm. Some of us who are listening to this probably are in that camp where you never really felt deep connection. Mm. Not, not necessarily, uh, maybe not, maybe not connection with the Lord. Maybe you also don't feel connection with others. And that's, if you do image management and, and you want to go down that road, it will result in superficial relationships and lack of connection because that like who you really are is not being known. And, and if you feel that sense of loneliness, our cultural moment is really good at producing lonely people. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to just be really blunt about that and then talk about how is that going to be redeemed for the gospel. So that's what we'll probably talk about next time. Excellent. Well, I'm excited we get to do a second partner with this uh, transformational outcome from image management to authentic relationships. This is Paul Arneberg, your podcast host with Pastor Brent Compelin at New Life Evangelical Free Church. Thanks for listening. Look forward to episode Sweet 16 coming up.